once again, we are glad you guys are here with us today. Whether you're in the building or watching with us online, uh, welcome to Grace as we wrap up our series going through the book of Job. And hopefully the past five weeks have been uh, beneficial to all of us because at some point, whether we have or in the future, we are all going to go through difficult times. And the natural question to ask is why? And that's a legitimate thing to wonder. And that's exactly what Job is going through in his life. That Job, an incredibly wealthy man, he had everything he could probably ask for at that time, and it was all taken away. He lost everything. He lost his home, his family, his wealth, his possessions, even his own health, that he was covered from head to toe in boils as as in past few weeks we talked about, as he's scraping them off of his body for just some relief. He's in physical and emotional agony. And not to mention, to, to make things worse, he, uh, the people still in his life, his wife and his friends, they don't seem to be helping much in the long run. That his wife is saying, hey, curse God and die. Like, just get it over with. You've been through too much. You just need to just curse God and die. And his friends who at first were present and comforting and who were with him, it was all going well until they started talking. And then it's just long speeches of them telling Job what they think he needs to hear. Saying, hey, and most of it was wrong, but they're saying, Job, you did something. Just own up to it. Admit your sin. God is punishing you for something. And instead of trying to be understanding, they wanted to be understood. And so they're just speaking to Job as much as possible. And they began to wear him down. Like they wore him down to the, to the point where he was slowly beginning to question God. And you see that progression through the book. Early on, he says, how could I ever argue with God? Like there's nothing that I could do to bring to him that's not my place, that's not my right. And you go just a few chapters later, chapter 13, verse 3, he says, but I would speak to the Almighty and I desire to argue with God. He's getting bolder and bolder as his friends begin to mess with his head. And that's why what Pastor Luke talked about last week, that we need to be careful who we allow to speak into our lives. That's why it's so important. And so he is getting bolder and bolder. And initially, Job was just settling for, hey, man, if, if only there was a mediator, like a middleman that could speak for both of us, and I could kind of get my, my side of the story out there. He doesn't want that anymore. He is not happy. He wants to speak directly to the person in charge. He says, yeah, I'm not happy with my service here in life. Can I speak to the manager, please? Like, that's what he is wanting. He wants to speak to God directly. And his friends are the cause of that. He says, enough is enough. I've lost my kids, lost my house. I've lost all my possession. I am in constant pain. God, I want to take you to court. I want to present my side of the story. I have a case I think I would win. And just then, God shows up. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, uh, careful what you wish for? Job's about to experience that firsthand. And so Job's challenge to God is accepted. And God is ready to weigh in. And so Job who's the center of this, he's with his friends and they're, and they're witnessing all this go down as well. But Job is encountered by, the Bible tells us, this whirlwind, storm, tornado thing. But either way, God is speaking out of it. And that's not uncommon. God would often um, 
make himself known in a storm. And that was symbolic of the effects that, you know, that, that his presence brings. And so there was no question that God was there. Not only had the weather changed, but God was speaking out of this whirlwind. And God had been silent up until now. But chapter 38, verse 2, out of the whirlwind, he says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. God is calling Job out for speaking things that aren't true about him and his character. And he's saying, who is speaking with these ignorant words? And if you notice, he says, like, he doesn't just casually come to Job and say, hey, uh, I've, I've heard what you've been saying. Let's talk this out. No. He says, gird up your loins like a man. And, and this kind of has the connotation of like getting ready for battle, like tucking your robe into your waist, get ready. Let's go toe to toe. Job, you've been asking me all these questions. You're attacking me, saying that you're innocent. I'm guilty. All right, Job, you asked for it. I'm here. Gird up your loins like a man. Get ready and answer me because I have some questions for you. You have all these questions and you want to question why, but now it's my turn to ask the questions. And so we see kind of the tables being turned here. And so God accepts this challenge. But before we even get to it, I want us to notice God doesn't answer his questions. As all of us, when we suffer, we have unanswered questions. We want to know why this is happening. We want to know why God is allowing it. We want to know why is it happening to me and not somebody else. And Job is wondering that same thing. And even the majority of the book of Job, by, by far the majority of the 42 chapters, his friends are arguing about that same issue, about the problem of pain and suffering and why it's happening. And we all have those questions. But he doesn't answer Job's questions of why it's happening. He doesn't explain himself. God reveals himself. And God corrects Job's mindset. And he reminds him that he is in control and he cares. And he does this by having a conversation with 77 consecutive questions. 77 consecutive questions that show off his power and his brilliance and his authority. And obviously, we're, we're not going to read the entire five chapters, but I would highly encourage you, if you have not read Job 38 to 42, today, when you get home, read those chapters, because it's awesome just to hear God's words being spoken. And it's useful for us too. So he tells Job, get ready, answer me like a man. Verse four, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Job, where were you when I created the earth? Was that you right alongside me as I laid the foundation and I made land and water and I made the sky and everything? No, oh, no, that's right. It was me. Job, you weren't there. And we get this awesome picture of what creation was like. It says in verse 7 that the angels sang together and they shouted for joy. So as God is creating, laying the foundation of the earth, putting things into existence, putting together this incomprehensible universe that we live in, 
as God is doing that, the angels are watching him create, singing, shouting for joy, celebrating just the creative authority of an all-powerful God. They're celebrating that. Uh, a few years ago, in 2016, when the, uh, when the Cavs won the NBA championship, game seven, the actual game was played in, in California, over on the West Coast, but I went to watch the game downtown Cleveland, and they put up a big screen in between, you know, where the Cavs play and the Indians play, and so uh, I went with Pastor Zach, you know, uh, Tiffin campus pastor, and my friend Zach Keel, and we went shoulder to shoulder, just hours of just being clumped together with thousands and thousands of people downtown Cleveland. And it wasn't that comfortable, but you know, we're there for the experience. Hopefully they end this 52, 52 year drought of not winning a championship in Cleveland. You know, game was fun to watch, but when the clock hit zero and we had finally won, like I, I haven't been a part of something like that. That was probably one of the more unique moments. The entire city just erupted in joy. Like everyone was screaming their heads off. You're hugging, high-fiving people, random strangers that you don't even know. Uh, but everyone is celebrating because we just won. And honestly, within probably a minute of us winning, not intelligent people, but people are climbing telephone poles. <laughs> they're climbing buildings. I even have a video of like 30, 40 people taking over a fire truck. But the cops are like, they're so happy, they're not doing anything about it. They're just like, oh, you guys do you. You know, Cavs won. Have a great day. Nobody, everybody's so happy. And they're celebrating because they won a basketball game. The angels have a much greater reason to celebrate. Because God is creating everything that we see today. And God is showing off his brilliance. He started with the earth and he goes on to the sea Verse 8, he says, Or who enclosed the sea with doors? When bursting forth, it went out from the womb. Verse 10, And I placed boundaries on it and set a bolt and doors. And I said, Thus far you shall come, but no farther. And here shall your proud waves stop. He says, Where were you, Job, when I placed the boundaries of the sea? When I told the water, Okay, this is where you start, this is where you end. I'm sure most of us have. Have you guys ever helped someone like uh, maybe back into a parking spot or like back a truck to hook to a trailer? What do you do? You say, all right, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, stop. God's doing that with the ocean. He's saying, all right, this is where you stop. You are going to come no further. Your waves stop here. He said, Job, where were you when I told the ocean how far that it could go? He goes to light. Verse 12, have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place. God, have you, or sorry, Job, have you ever told the sun to rise? Have you ever told the sun to set? Have you ever controlled the day and night? No. And in verse 21, he says, for, you know, for you were born then, and the numbers of your days is great. If you notice, God is sarcastic here. And we don't picture God that way. We picture him like kind of just a cold, black and white judge you know, to the point, but God has a personality and he's not trying to humiliate Job. He's trying to present him with real wisdom and make this point stick. He talks about the rain, talks about the snow, talks about the stars. He's like, Job, 
did you place those constellations in the sky or was that me? Job, did you place the planets and everything that you see when you look up in the sky? Was that you or was that me? He talks about lightning. Verse 35, can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Job, do you tell lightning where to strike? Does lightning come to you? Does lightning report to you and say, where do you want us today, boss? No, that's me. Job, that's not you. And he goes on from just general creation and moves specifically to animals. Actually, the majority of these five chapters, God is talking about animals that he created, and he lists 10 of them. And we won't cover all of them. But the first one, the lion. It says, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait in their lair? You know, the lion, the king of the jungle, this 500-pound killing machine with teeth, <laughs> that lion, Job, did you create him? Do you make sure that the young lions stay fed, that they don't starve? No, you don't. That's me. The next, or one of the next ones he talks about, which um, is the best animal by far on this list, the ostrich. <laughs> Just funny that he mentions this animal. Verse 13 of chapter 39. It says, The ostrich's wings flap joyously uh, for the pinion and plumage of love. For she abandons her eggs to the earth and warms them in the dust. And she forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may trample them. She treats her young cruelly as if they were not hers. Through her labor, though her labor be in vain, she is unconcerned because God has made her forget wisdom and has not given her a share of understanding. When she lifts herself on high, she laughs at the horse and his rider. God is saying, all right, check out the ostrich. Has wings, but can't fly. Kind of embarrassing for a bird. Can't fly, so she can't put her eggs in a tree, so she leaves them on the ground. A pretty neglectful parent, an awful mother, that you know any other animal could step over the eggs, could could harm them. She wasn't created very smart. The bird's not intelligent. But when she runs, she will leave the horse in the dust. And the ostrich, uh, and, and I googled ostrich facts, so I'm a professional now, but the ostrich, the fastest two-legged animal in the world, and the fastest long-distance runner, it said it can run a marathon in under 45 minutes. So pretty quick, useless wings for flying, but when running, uses them as, as almost like rudders to, to change direction, make sharp turns. And by the way, the, the lion that we just talked about, uh, the 500-pound killing machine, yeah, the ostrich can kill it just by kicking it. God is going, yeah, it looks goofy. It can't think. It can't take, it can't take care of its young. Yes, I made it stupid, but you should see it run. Like... It is, God is taking joy in this. And he moves on and talks about the raven and the mountain goat and the deer. And I know you probably didn't enter church this morning planning a zoology class, but we're glad you're here. Uh, the raven, the mountain goat, the deer. It says, who makes sure that they are nourished? Who makes sure that they are fed? And I want us to notice the provision here. That God doesn't just create, he sustains he keeps things going. Who makes sure that the birds have food? Who makes sure that these animals give birth safely 
and they're young, they're, they're able to grow and be healthy. He says, Job, is that you? Is it, is it your understanding by which the hawk flies? Are you the one that allows eagles to go on mountaintops inaccessible to every other animal or person? No, that's, that's me. Job, that wasn't you. And you see how God delights in describing his creation, like how much joy he takes in describing all these animals. He takes that much joy, again, from animals. How much more does he care about us? How much more does he care about you? Because through this list, what he's trying to get across to Job is he's telling Job, look, there are a lot of things that you don't understand about these animals, about their purpose, about their life, about their traits. And in the same way, there are things, Job, about your life, about your experiences that you don't understand. That's my business to know them. That's not yours. Only I am wise enough and powerful enough to do that. And in the middle of this, Job responds. God asks him for a response and he says, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Job says, our God, I'm insignificant, I'm tiny, I'm small. This is too big for me. I have nothing left to say. I'm not going to say anymore. Job doesn't have anything else to say, but God's not done with him yet. God says again, brace yourself like a man. Get ready to answer me. I got some more questions for you. And so God is saying, you want to challenge my justice? You want to say that I'm guilty and I'm in the wrong and you haven't done anything? Okay, Job, got a few, few more things for you. And in chapter 40 and 41, he describes two more animals, two more animals that don't seem to be around today. And you guys may have heard the names before, the behemoth and Leviathan. Chapter 40, verse 15. And just listen to the description of this animal. Behold now, behemoth which I made as well as you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold now his strength in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He bends his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze, limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Let his maker bring near his word. Now, Looking at what this animal is, there, there is some disagreement. Uh, scholars would say there's kind of two main camps. One would say that it's an elephant or a hippo. And hippo is kind of leading the charge there. A lot, a lot of traits here line up with that thinking. Okay, if it's a hippo, they eat plants, they're powerful. Uh, there's muscles in their belly, bones, tubes of bronze. And even verses that we didn't read, it hangs around in the marsh. Okay, hippo makes sense for most of these. But you see... Certain distinctions, especially in verse 17, that show that maybe it's not the best answer. It says that he bends or swings his tail like a cedar. So like a huge, wide cedar tree, this animal has a tail like a cedar tree. And I don't know if, if you've ever seen a hippo tail. Nothing to brag about, okay? I probably wouldn't compare that, his tail to a tree. And so the hippo doesn't seem to be the best answer. So where does that leave us? Well, through things that, that we've dug up in archaeology, we've, we've found animals that probably better match the description of this beast. Many scholars would say there's a type of animal that seems to fit 
what God is speaking of. And it seems logical that, that God had a dinosaur like this, or um, this type of dinosaur at least, long tail, long neck, a sauropod, in mind. And obviously, it wouldn't be a clip from Jurassic Park if we didn't have the theme music in there, so we had to, <laughs> had to throw that. But from a biblical perspective, this makes sense. I mean, land animals, humans, we were created on the same day, day six. And even, you know, uh, in reference to the flood, Bible tells us that every kind of animal on land that breathed air was on the ark. And just like animals do today, they die off, they go extinct. And so whether it was due to change in the environment after the flood or humans doing what humans do, which is try to take down any predator in our way, right, they, they died off. And again, the book of Job was written over 4,000 years ago, probably the earliest book of the Bible. And I know for some of us, maybe, this might be a hang-up. You may be sitting here thinking, this man did not just mention dinosaurs living with humans. Like, they lived millions of years. I, I know that's probably the more common view in our world. But there are reasons that it would make sense that we coexisted at some point with these animals. You look at anthropology, the study of people and cultures just over time, over the world, we see that there are legends all over the world, different cultures that weren't necessarily intertwined. They have these, um, you know, uh, stories and traditions of just giant reptiles and terrible lizards that they had a knowledge of. You look at cave paintings uh, that depicted animals that sure looked a lot like of the ones that, that we've been able to dig up and the fossils that we have. And even uh, present day findings, we're finding bones with red blood cells and soft tissue in them that wouldn't be possible if they were millions of years old. And so, again, we don't have much time to get into it, but uh, if you have questions like that, if you're kind of hung up on, man, how is this possible? Is this even true? Does this match up with science? There is evidence and reasons to believe that would be true, that Job is being described a huge land animal that he's familiar with that doesn't seem to be here today. And in chapter 41, God mentions another animal called the Leviathan. And we see here, again, there's debate whether it's a crocodile or another huge you know, aquatic dinosaur. But either way, it is a giant sea creature protected with scales. And we know animals like this have existed in the past. And listen to how God describes the Leviathan. Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. No one is so fierce that he dares to arouse him. Who then is he that can stand before me? God is saying this animal, this creature, and if you read chapter 41, he says, the Leviathan regards iron as straw, bronze as rotten wood, things that, you know, uh, that are tough to us, he can snap through them like a twig. He's saying he laughs at any weapon brought against it, that he's basically invincible with no weaknesses, and so large that it can't move without being noticed because it stirs up the sea. God's saying this creature, no man is brave enough, no man is strong enough to stand against it. If you put the Leviathan and anything else, 1v1, God knows the winner. That this animal is bigger, badder, better, and nobody can stand against it. God says that awesome, powerful creature is my creation. It's subject only to me. 
Job, you're not even top contender, top dog on the earth. If you can't step to him, why would you step to me questioning me, questioning my ways and my power and my authority? So you have the behemoth. God says the first of the works of God, Leviathan, powerful beyond measure. Can anyone capture them? Can anyone bring them down? No. And if God created them, how great is God? Must be a lot greater than his creation. And so 77 questions showing his wisdom, his rule, and his creativity. And as, as God is taking Job through all of creation, saying, hey, ch- look at the earth, look at the animals, look at everything that I'm in control of. Job, I don't seem to be struggling to handle all of this. Do you think I'm struggling to handle your life? And we can ask ourselves the same thing. That Do you think God struggles to handle our lives? He says, I know you're upset. I know everything is falling apart. You've lost everything, but I am here. All you need to know is that I'm good, I'm in control, and I care. And after all that, Job, he breaks down and he has this correct response. He says, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I've declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask, you instruct. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Job is realizing his place. He's realizing who he is compared to God. He says, I am small. I am insignificant. God, I've heard about you, but now I've seen you. Now I've experienced it. And God uses suffering in our lives to do just that, to bring us to a place of deeper insight. And the story really gives us a different perspective, God's perspective, that we see ourselves correctly when we are in line with God. That just like Job said, I am small, I am but a speck, I'm insignificant, not worthless, because God gives us our worth. But God, I am nothing compared to you. You are infinitely superior. And even though God is stronger, wiser, more powerful, he still chooses to care. And the greatest way, the greatest act showing that he does love us, that he provides, that he cares, is by sending his son down the cross for our sin, knowing that we don't deserve forgiveness. There's nothing I can do on my own merit to to earn eternal life or to be forgiven by God, but it's only those who acknowledge our sin, place our full belief that Jesus died, rose to pay for our penalty, to pay for the sin that we committed and we choose to follow him. God shows us that he cares. The greatest act of love by sending his son Jesus to die. And so things for Job, they began well and they ended well. After these weeks of suffering, God showed him grace. Whatever Job had before, God doubled it. He doubled his wealth. He ended up having seven more sons, three more daughters. He lived for 140 more years and he was able to see his children 
to the fourth generation. And Job, you know, as he was blessed immensely, God showed him grace. He spent those 140 years honoring the creator that he doubted. And, and just a small footnote, you know, Job, things ended well in terms of God was gracious to him. God was choosing to bless him at the end. That doesn't mean that's going to be the result of our suffering every time. God will always be loving. God will always be present. He will always give us what we need. But he may not necessarily bless us, you know, physically in this life like he did Job. That's his story. Now, some of you in this room are going through things that I can't relate to, I can't empathize with, that I have only God knows what you're truly going through. And some of you may feel like you need God to explain himself, but you don't. You need God to reveal himself, and he has, through his son Jesus and through his word which tells us who God is. We need to see how small we are and know that, okay, God, I don't know everything and I don't need to know everything because you are in control and you care. And just like we've been saying through this entire series, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to wonder, why is this happening? God, why are you allowing it? Why is this happening to me right now? Why can't it be this way? But it's not okay when we demand an answer and we, we, when we get mad at God for not answering how we want. Because we don't need to know all the answers. And I know we would like to. It's easier. But we don't. And what's interesting about Job is uh, we have kind of a behind-the-scenes look of Job's story. We have it in writing. We have the picture of um, you know, God talking to Satan, setting up all of these things that happened to him and his pain and suffering. There's a lot of things that Job never found out about why it happened, about the results of what happened. Like, there's a lot of things that he, as far as we know, he was never privileged to. So God never told Job, hey, Job, I know you're going through a rough time, but the reason this is happening uh, is because I was talking to Satan and I was actually bragging on you saying that you can take away whatever you want, but you are not going to curse me. You are going to remain faithful. And so that's why this is happening. God never told Job, Job, I know you're going through a rough time, but trust me, at the end of this, you are going to have a greater understanding and dependence on me. It will be better for your good and for my glory. Job was never told by God, hey, not only am I going to use your story, Job, but I'm going to place it in Scripture in my eternal word that will never pass away. And so for, for years after that, for thousands of years, Christians, people, billions of people will know me better because of what I've done in your life. God never told Job, hey, I know you're suffering right now and you're wondering what, possibly, what possible benefit can come from this. God never told Job, hey, 4,000 years from now, Grace Community Church, in Fremont, Tiffin, and Northwood are going to do an, an entire series on your suffering. And through that, as they study your life and they study what I've done through your life, people are going to come to know you and their eternities will be changed as they make a decision to follow me. Job was never told that. He was never told how, or he was never told all the good things that would come from his suffering. 
God did all of that with Job's pain. Don't you think he can use yours? Don't you think he can bring good and has a plan for your suffering? Because God may never tell you why you're facing difficult times. God may never tell us why he is allowing certain things to happen. And that's okay. We don't need to know. Because God doesn't just want to answer our specific questions and help us with one scenario. God wants to give us, he wants to give you a better picture of himself that alters your entire life. And not just that we have a knowledge of God, but understanding that God is with us through our suffering. Because God doesn't want us to be content. He doesn't want us to rest in comfort or in explanation. He wants us to rest in God alone because knowing God is better than knowing answers. And we see that in Job. And so for us, whatever circumstances, whatever discouragement, whatever we face, we can know that God is in control and God cares, which means that we have every reason to hope and we have every reason to trust him. Let's go ahead and pray this morning as we uh, wrap up our service. God, we want to thank you most of all for your son Jesus who provided a way for us to have a relationship with you, to find forgiveness and eternal life. God, that's the greatest truth. I pray that it would drive us as we've looked for the past five weeks through your creation and through the story of Job. God, I pray that we were all comforted to knowing, in knowing that we don't need to have all the answers, God. We may wonder why, we may wonder what is happening in this world, in my life, and we just may feel overwhelmed. But God, I pray that we would trust in you and know that you care about us and that you are in control. And we don't have to have everything together. We don't have to have all the answers because we have you. And I pray that we would trust in you every day, that we would acknowledge who created the world, who sustained the world, and who is able to do something greater with our lives than, than we're able to do with it. In your name we pray.